Hey folks, my name is Andy Sido, and you're listening to another episode of Middle Class Rockstar. My guest today is Grammy-nominated Colorado Music Hall of Fame inductee, Chris Daniels. Hey there, how you doing? I hope things are going well for you. Things are going well for me, I think. I just put out a new single, Mona Lisa's Everywhere, last week, and the music video will be out tomorrow. Um, I don't promote my my own music too terribly often on here, but, you know, when there's a release or a big show or whatever, I can talk about it briefly, right? I mean, after all, it is my podcast. Um, but yeah, new song out, Mona Lisa's Everywhere. I had a conversation with my father about and my fiance about whether or not there's an apostrophe between the A and the S in Mona Lisa's. And I'd been putting an apostrophe there just out of habit, you know, because it's Mona Lisa's, it's Andy Siddow's, um, you know, it's Patty Smith's apostrophe S. But then my fiance, who's an elementary school teacher and is a grammar Nazi and a spelling Nazi and all other kinds of... Um, are you even allowed to say that now? Are you allowed to call people blank Nazis? I don't know. It might be politically incorrect. But, you know, she's all she's all up on the latest there. And not that this is a super... I mean, it's it's pretty obvious, I would think. I should have known. But she said, I don't think you should have an apostrophe between the A and the S. That just seem, that seems incorrect for your song. You should, you know, double check, triple check, and, and before you submit it to CD Baby and all that stuff. So then I... Asked my dad for some guidance, and he said, it absolutely is no apostrophe. Mona Lisa's everywhere. No apostrophe. If the song was called Mona Lisa's Underwear, then you could have an apostrophe. And I thought about that for a moment and realized that they were both right. So the song is Mona Lisa's Everywhere. No apostrophe between the A and the S. I should have known that. I'll admit, I shouldn't have known that. It's not like some crazy thing. But, But I didn't. And I messed it up, but it's right now, okay? So my guest today is Chris Daniels. I'm very, very excited to have Chris on. In fact, he was on my initial list. I have it somewhere. I've got to find it, and I'll share it. And I'll have to see who all has been on the podcast at the initial list. But when I first started Middle Class Rockstar back in, I think, August of 2018 is when the first episode officially came out. I made a list of people I was going to get on the podcast, an initial list, and there were some some people I knew I could get fairly easily. There were some dare to dreams and, and everything in between. And Chris was on that initial list. And also, I had just put out a record back in May called Reasons for Departure that Chris produced. Right? So, you know, we're we're a, we're a degree away from each other. We talk, we're friends. But for some reason, I didn't have him on the podcast for like two and a half years. Um, I don't know why. I don't know why. Um, I asked a couple weeks ago, and he said absolutely, and then we did it. Um, but anyway, I'm really glad we finally did it, and, I'm, and I kind of can't believe that we waited um, That we waited until now. Um, and it's interesting talking, talking to Chris. If He's such an interesting dude, and he's done so many things. I first met him because he was my uh, music business professor at CU Denver. Um, and, and he's had a huge career, <laughs> you know, he's been, he's been on record labels. He's had independent releases. Um, he's had his band, Chris Daniels and the Kings for 37 years in April, I believe. Um, 
They've also served as a backing band for Garth Brooks, Bonnie Raitt, Vince Gill, Sonny Landreth, Bo Diddley, Joe Walsh, you name it. I mean, there's just a huge, um, <laughs> a huge resume there of people that he's backed up, people that he's played with or written with. Um, he's very involved in the Telluride Bluegrass Festival and starting the After Hours Jam back in the 1980s. And he's been the MC of the festival for the past, um, I think he was saying, six years or so uh, as well. He's a Colorado Music Hall of Fame inductee, as I mentioned in the intro. Uh, he was an inaugural inductee along with Judy Collins back in 2013. Uh, he was diagnosed with leukemia in 2010 when he was at, when he was my teacher at the university, um, and, and he and he battled that and is healthy and doing his thing and putting out music, working on projects. He's doing a project with Hazel Miller right now. I don't want to talk too much about it. I'll let him do it. But it was interesting chatting with him because as he talked, I thought more and more, you know, maybe the best way to interview Chris Daniels would be to just put a microphone in the middle of the room and leave and press record and let him talk for an hour because he has so many interesting stories, so many things to say. And then you, you just want to hear it again. After he was finished talking, I just wanted to press repeat. Luckily, you can. And hear it again because there were, there were little things I missed where he went over here and went over there. And I went, oh my gosh. Yeah, more about that. So as an interviewer, there was all these little gateways, all these little paths that I, you know, I, wanted, to, that I wanted to go down. But, you know, you only have 45 minutes or so. And, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll have to have him on again sometime because it was just fantastic. He's a dear friend. It was great catching up with him again. Um, I, you know, it's been a couple years since we since we had a phone call last, I think. So it's been too long. It was great. It was great having him on. I need to make mention also that there is some wind sounds in the background. Um, we did what we could to edit it out. Chris is in Florida for the interview in the backyard. We were trying to get good connection between the two of us. So he went out into the backyard. And the wind... Um, you know, kicks up a couple times. And so I cut some stuff out, um, you know, went through and did some editing. But there are some wind sounds in the background. That's okay. Bear with us. The conversation is no less great because of it. What else do I need to say about Chris? That might be it. That might be it. Maybe the rest takes care of itself in the interview here in just a moment. All right, let's jump in. Oh, wait, I forgot. There is one more thing. In terms of the music and the licensing and the theme song, if you've been listening to the last few episodes, I did officially change the theme song, and it is a song written entirely for this show um, so that there's no troubles with FM radio, so that there's no troubles with anything. It's just a song that is not um, licensed anywhere. It's not, you know, registered. It's just a song for the podcast. In terms of playing artist music, I've been playing a song at the beginning of the podcast and at the end of the podcast, um, and it's come to my attention that perhaps I shouldn't be doing that. I don't know. It seems like everybody wants to hear a song from the artist, but um, I need to make sure that my arse is covered. So I'm looking into um, how to ensure more than just a verbal or text or email agreement from the artist that I can play their music on here um, without getting in trouble for it. So for these next... Um, these next couple episodes, we won't have music from the artist. However, I strongly encourage you to go check out the artist after the interview, during the interview, whatever. Chris Daniels and the Kings. Look it up wherever you listen to your music or buy a record if you're old-fashioned um, and check it out. 
If you'd like to support this podcast in a monetary way, I'm now on Patreon at patreon.com slash Andy Sido, S-Y-D-O-W. There you can support my artist, my artist career, excuse me, and my podcasts um, as I, you know, continue to make music, continue to make podcasts, continue to make content. You can subscribe for as little as $3 a month. As Joe Pug says, that's less than a cup of coffee, one cup of coffee per month. If you're not in a position to support in a monetary way, I totally understand that. Or if you're just like, I have way too many monthly bills, no way, dude. That's fine, too. You can help out completely for free by giving this podcast a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's Apple Music or Spotify. Tell people about it. Share it. Give it that review. Give it that rating. It only takes a minute and really, really does help me out a lot. Very quick thanks to our sponsors. First, PQ Mastering. Patrick at PQ Mastering puts the finishing touches on this podcast. And for any of your audio or restoration needs, go to pqmastering.com. Also, Narrator Music. For simple and affordable licensing for sync, go to narratorrf.com. Okay. We're rolling. All right. Chris has got some guitar. All right. It's always good to have a little guitar. <laughs> so, uh, Mr. Anderson, how are you doing? I'm doing so well, and and I'm very uh, oh, good of you in the in the Florida sun, sitting on your back porch there. Yeah, that's it. That's me sitting out here in the in the beautiful sunshine. I uh, got down here in February and um, came down. Uh, my girlfriend uh, has a, a wonderful grandfather down here who's in his 80s and uh, is very independent, but every now and then needs just a little help here and there. Yeah. And I also have family in South Carolina, so I went up and spent a bunch of time with them in South Carolina and then came back down here after spending a week with my son who came and my granddaughters who came down from New York. Wonderful. So it was, it was, it's been, yeah, it's been fun. Is there a, and it got my COVID vaccine. Do you have both shots? Yeah. So I'm vaccinated. You're ready. You're ready. I got my Fauci. I got my Fauci ouchie. <laughs> so is there a, is there a return plan for you will will you pilgrimage back yeah. to Colorado this summer? Yeah, I'm I'm I'll actually be back in April. I'm doing a big show on April 24th uh for the Democratic Party where Obama is going to speak and Michelle and uh, Cory Booker and a bunch of other folks. Plus I need to finish up an album that I've been working on with Hazel Miller and her wonderful keyboard player Dana Marsh and we started it out just as a little project to help um, inner city health which is a really cool um, um, uh, health clinic for people uh, who don't have a lot of resources and um, it's been one of Hazel's pet uh, charities and foundations that she's helped for a long long time and I've been involved with it for about the last four years and we went into Colorado Sound into their wonderful little Studio W yeah. and did five tunes, just the three of us and 
there was some magic in that teacup. Um, we went, hmm. So I uh, got back in touch with Kevin and we did another six songs. They're mostly cover tunes. Yeah. And uh, three originals. And, um, and uh, then a bunch of folks offered to come and just jam with us. So Big Head Todd's uh, playing guitar and Greg Garrison on bass. Uh, Victor Wooten is playing on two tracks, um, um, as is Kenny Passarelli. So we have cool. bass royalty. Yeah, uh, we got got uh, Todd on get some guitars. Sam Bush on mandolin and fiddle. Uh, Christian Teal playing percussions. Tom Capek doing some wonderful additional keyboards. Mark Oblinger and Linda Lawson uh, doing some vocals and uh it's it's just a wonderful fun project so basically everyone played on it by the time it was all said and done yeah and and the nice thing about it is it's going to come out as a full length uh probably hour-long video and we'll donate some of the proceeds to inner city health and uh we'll try and see if we can run it a few times it's always interesting as you know from music business uh, uh, when you're doing cover tunes, uh, especially when you're doing any kind of sync rights, people get all, you know, ah, oh, where's my millions? And you're going, that's the music business, dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> get a get a grip. Uh, <laughs> so we'll see what kind of permissions cost us, and we'll go from there. Is there any sort of a plan to to take the show on the road? I don't know about that. Um, I mean, we'll be playing, Kings will be playing a bunch of those, and I'm hoping we can do some shows with Hazel, specifically some kind of release party where we do everything. Um, but COVID's uh, playing, uh, uh, you know, little fun jumping games with that. We have to figure out where to do it. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll, it, it'll be an exciting exciting thing when i think we put it all together but we'll have to to figure out how best to market that yes yes indeed and and i assume same thing covid playing games with uh, uh chris daniels in the king's anniversary show right it would would it be 37 years in april or something yeah it would be it would be 37 years in april and and i think at this point um i don't see any kind of I think we're going to, um, things are going to need to be more midsummer, fall. You know, I, I don't know what's going to happen with a lot of stuff. The folks from Telluride Bluegrasses have said they really want me to come and MC again. And I said, yeah, I love sitting in with leftover salmon and, and Sam Bush and all those guys, but, um, they're trying to figure out how to do it. Um, with social distancing, um, normally they get about eleven thousand people there, and they can't, yeah, probably do that. So, in order to make the park work with a ten-foot sort of corral, they'd need to hold it down to about two thousand, and that doesn't pay any bills, right? So, you know, it's the restructuring of of the world that we've known for years. Um, it still kind of works on a small level, you know, buddy David Booker's going out and playing shows and Hazel plays shows and I play shows every now and then. But yeah, it's usually, you know, sitting behind a plexiglass screen and, you know, 35 people. Um, yeah, so. absolutely. 
<laughs> right, right. Um, and you're just mentioned mentioning Telluride bluegrass, and hopefully in a year or two, that's all back to you know, fifty thousand oh, yeah. people on top of each other. But um, <laughs> you've you've emceed that, I, I guess. Besides last year, the last four or five years, and I was six years, yeah, six years. And I was hearing also you hear about the after hours jam and somebody told me that you started that back in <laughs> the mid 1970s. Is that so? Uh, it was a little later than that, but yes. Um, so I had a band called magic music and magic music played the uh, second and third Telluride bluegrass festivals. Um, we were Colorado's first jam band. You can believe it before salmon and string cheese and all those guys, yeah. uh, there was magic music and um, it was us and new grass revival back when Courtney was playing with them. And uh, John Cowan had just come into the band and um, they, when I came back, I, I it's a long story, but the short version is I, uh, wound up being the custodial parent of a three-year-old boy um, full-time. Obviously, I've been the parent since he was zero, but yeah. um, his mother basically said, yuck, you do this. <laughs> so I didn't have any real skills after Magic Music broke up. Yeah. So I went back to school and got a degree in music and journalism, went to Berkeley and some other places. And uh when I got back to Colorado, uh, Fred asked me to come up and do some shows and, and he never paid us much money. So we had to figure out how to make some money. Yeah. So we started a thing called the after hours jam, which is now night grass concerts. They've gone very formal and fabulous. Don't you know? <laughs> <Night> grass <laughs> very concerts. <comforting>. But <laughs> we were just a bunch of folks starting in 1982. Uh, at the Roma bar. Um, and that, you know, that night, that first night, it was Fogelberg and um, God, um, Russell Smith and a bunch of people. And it was just musicians who had to stop playing in the park and yeah. wanted to come and keep playing. And then it also turned into kind of a fun deal where, um, Bela Fleck played his first electric banjo. I literally took it out of the cardboard box backstage, <laughs> plugged it into a Marshall amp and went, whoa. <laughs> oh my gosh. So just a lot of fun moments like that. Uh, you know, Vince Gill coming yeah. in and sitting in and, and, and uh, uh, it, was, it was just lots and lots of people who came over the years and it's how i met up with david romberg yeah uh, tell you right. and, and so was this a you did this yearly for for quite some time right 10 years yeah wow and what, yeah. what what stopped it after 10 well to a bunch of things short version uh romberg uh loved our band and said, I'd love to have you record a song that I've just written called Testify. And we said, sure, let's do it. So we recorded with that with him on a record called When You're Cool. And that came out. And the twins, Minnesota twins, 
wound up going to the World Series and they were playing that song, When You're Cool, The Sun Shines All the Time, yeah. in the stadium. And we wound up selling a gazillion tons of records. And David had us come out to New York and play with him at the bottom line a bunch. So yeah. we did it every year for like three years. And one year, a guy named Al Cooper was sitting backstage, who famous keyboard player from Bob Dylan's Like a Rolling Stone and starting Blood, Sweat and Tears and yeah. Super Session and all that stuff. And I got up the cojones to say, Al, you obviously know about horn bands. How about uh, producing Chris Daniels and the Kings? And he said, sure. And so we did a record called That's What I Like About the South. Yeah. And um, it came out uh, in a, with a little teeny company called Redstone in Colorado. Um, and one of those records, the cover was by a guy named Neon Park, who did Weasels Rip My Flesh and all the Little Feet covers. And it got to Europe because of the cover. And a guy named Jan von der Linden in Holland signed us to a record deal um, on Pro Vogue Records that he had just started. Yeah. Um, Sonny's on that, Landreth and Robert Cray and a whole lot of other people, Walter Trout. He so signed us. Th there's, a whole, there's a whole lot of directions we can go here. And right, right. now I'm sitting here thinking, can, who's going to write your bio? <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyway, the, the, the reason was that we'd signed this contract and we started touring in Europe. Yeah. And at the same time, Fred Shellner, my dear, dear friend, who had started the festival, died. Okay. And uh, mostly due to the evils of, of drug and alcohol addiction. Um, yeah. He was trying to get clean and sober and things didn't go well. So um, he, uh, as the, the old guard went out and the new guard with Craig Ferguson came in, I think they wanted to really try and put the festival on a financially stable ground. Fred was a great impresario and, and Craig's great too, but, but he was, he really came up with a design for the festival, which was never a strictly bluegrass festival. And I, you know, I closed Friday nights with my band and with Newgrass Revival as my backup band for 10 years until, you know, leftover salmon took it over. Right. So, um, there was a lot of a, a lot of kind of fun uh, interplay, and then when Craig took it over, like I said, he really they needed to to get financially solvent, right. and so they changed up the structure a lot. And they wanted it to feel different, and I wasn't offended or anything like that. Plus, we were playing in Europe, so that's why I stopped playing. Yeah. And when they asked me to come back in whatever it was, two thousand fourteen or something like that. Um, uh, to be the MC and sit in with folks. I said, yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, that's, that's great that you're able to have that reunion now. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to keep mental track of, of, of all these, of all these <laughs> yeah, side stories that are going on here. Um, <laughs> Al Cooper, uh, produced a record for you. Um, right. What was that like in the studio? Was he a nice guy? Was he angry? Did he kick members out? Oh of no. Coop. Coop's the best. He is genuinely, um, I guess you would say, uh, if you were talking about somebody other than a musician, he's an oddball, but um, he's, uh, he's just a, I mean, he's a super, super intelligent, super, super gifted as a musician, and therefore he's a little quirky. 
Um, yeah. Uh, but I mean, I just, I love him. I, you know, he's just one of the best. Um, we backed him as his backup band for about a year and a half. And that was a lot of fun. Did a lot of shows with him. Did a show in Los Angeles at the Rock, Roxy where we were the backup band for Al and Bonnie Raitt. And uh, um, when Craig Fuller went back into Little Feet for the Little Feet guys, uh, Warren Zevon and um, this wonderful band called Was Not Was. Yeah. Everybody opened the door, get on the floor, everybody walked the dinosaur. And of course, Don Was turns out to be one of the best producers in the world. Yeah, right. And yeah, produced Bonnie Raitt's five Grammy winning album. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, hopefully this wind isn't hurting too much. Anyway, so... Um, that was a fun show. Yeah. Because uh, we were we were a little cocky. And uh, uh, the guys from Was Not Was, Sweet P. McAllister, and they got on stage. And, and we'd learned, you know, walk the dinosaur in their head. And uh, our bass player, Kevin Leahy, was there. And, he's, and, and I didn't know who Don was. was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he came up and said, well, I'll play the bass part. And I didn't know him. And I said, no, we got this. We really do. You know, you, and Coop looked at me and said, let him play the bass part. <laughs> it's Don was. And I went, I don't, I don't, I don't. <laughs> talk about feeling two foot small. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. That, that must have been crazy playing with him. And you mentioned Warren Zevon. I'm a huge Warren Zevon. Yeah. Fan. What was that interaction like? Oh, yeah. Zevon was just the nicest guy in the world. I mean, and a brilliant guy. Yeah. One, one of my favorite moments from that evening was Bonnie Raitt, who had been clean and sober for a while. And I, I was clean and sober for a while. And um, the end of the night, and she looked at me and said, you look like you're not drunk. <laughs> I said, yeah, I don't drink. I'm in the program. She yeah. said, me too. Would you walk me to my car? <laughs> so I said, why, of course, Miss Raitt. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. We had this nice conversation walking her out to her little white convertible BMW. And she said, thank you very much. And got in her car and drove off. And I remember walking back going, oh, you know, not only did I get to sing with her, I got yeah. to walk her to her car. And no, no she didn't kiss me goodnight. <laughs> I would have believed you. What, what year was this? Oh, let's see. 91, maybe. Okay. Yeah. It's right around there. She'd had the, she'd won all the Grammys. So I think that record came out in 88 or 89. Wow. A nick so, of time. Did you think when the Kings started that not only would you guys be touring and doing stuff all over the world, but you'd serve as a backing band for so many artists. I mean, you, you just named a few, but um, Bo Diddley, Garth Brooks, Vince Gill, Sonny Landreth, the list goes on and on. Yeah, you've backed up everybody. Your your uh your credentials might be deeper than Paul Schaefer's. I don't know. <laughs> I'm a legend in that? my own mind. Uh, <laughs> did you picture that when the band started that you'd be doing that kind of? Thing? No, the the truth about the band is that I've been touring in Russell Smith's backup band with uh, Steve Kahn and Cactus Mosier and Randy Barker, and those names probably don't recognize any of them, but Cactus Mosier 
uh, was the drummer for Highway 101 for years, is currently ma- married to Winona Judd. I think that's the daughter. Yeah. The daughter of Judd. They've been married for years, and he's, he's a brilliant producer and amazing drummer. Steve Kahn is legendary in Colorado as a songwriter and, and uh, works with Sonny Landreth all the time. He's the keyboard accordion player. Um, Randy Barker was with Woody and the Two High Band for years. He's just one of the best guitar players ever. And Brian Grassmeyer, and we were Russell's backup band. We toured with him for about a year and a half or two years. And uh, um, he decided to get off the road and just write his songs, which is exactly what he did. He went to Nashville and wrote Keep It Between the Lines for Alan Jackson and all these other amazing hit songs. You know, and of course, he'd written hit songs, Third Rate Romance, Low Rent Rendezvous, and Burning the Ballroom Down, and all these incredible hits that he'd written. Um, and the band was so good, we decided to, well, why don't we play another show or two? Um, and the last show we did was New Year's Eve, 83, and 84. Um, we started practicing, and I borrowed Steve Kahn's horn section. She's yeah. a Fly McClard, Forrest Means, and, and uh, Steve Owen. And we went into the Blue Note to do one show, one night. It's going to be a one-night gig, Chris Daniels and the Rhythm and Blues King. Just be careful of one-night stands, okay, kids? Because they can last 37 years. <laughs> <laughs> That's I had no vision of this doing anything. Yeah. Um, we won Westward's best rock band, uh, best in, in Denver that year, uh, or 19, no, actually it was 1985. It was our first year winning it. Yeah. And it I mean, we were, we've, we've been Westward's best rock band, uh, best blues band and best jazz band. They can't figure out who we are, but that's okay. They keep thinking we're the best and that's very nice of them. Well, and I imagine the genres have changed over the years, you know, True. for who they would put it as the best rock band. Right. Oh, of course. You know, rock and roll is very different than it was. And that's actually why I was so blessed was because in 1989, when we did the record with Cooper, um, we were screwed. We, I thought we were done because here we have this record produced by the same guy that produced Sweet Home Alabama. And I thought, oh, man. And at that point, Kurt Cobain and the whole new sound of of what becomes grunge or whatever title you want to call it, this wonderful, you know, intense music. But there's not a horn section anywhere near that stuff. Yeah. And we were a horn section band. And the closest thing was Huey Lewis and the News, and they were considered, you know, passe. And I had good friends in Jack Mack and the Heart Attack. Max Grunenthal is just a wonderful friend. And Max said to me, tough times. So when we got offered this deal in Europe, we jumped on it. Yeah. And the other thing, the other thing that I did is I, I said, don't give me an advance. I said, I, I don't want thousands of dollars. I want you to take us to Europe for four tours and pay for the band for four tours. Um, very you know it was kind of a smart move in retrospect um, because that's you know we did 21 tours there and it was basically by saying don't give me money give me plane tickets yeah so you attracted this label 
overseas. Um, and yeah. Were you worried at that time or were you thinking, hey, I'm going to adapt the sound to match what's working now with the new movements and the, and the punk rock and stuff? Or did you say, you know what, we're just going to keep doing our thing and do our best with it? Um, with Al's record, it was so steeped in, um, I mean, it's, it's one of the best produced records we ever did. I mean, Louis Louis is also really good. Uh, but yeah, I, that record's just a brilliant production. And it's it's blood, sweat, and tears. And it's rock and roll with horns. Yeah. And uh, it, it was just really, there was no, <laughs> it would be like trying to make a convertible into a truck, you know? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Couldn't be done. Sure. So we just stayed true to what we were doing. And Europe has always been a bastion, whether it was Jimi Hendrix or, uh, you know, Sidney Bachet from New Orleans. It was a place where um, musicians who couldn't get arrested here could go over there and and have this huge following. You know, we were lucky. Was that similar? Uh, for you guys, did you feel that when you went overseas, the following got bigger and that people appreciated the music more? Oh, hell yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, there was a, okay, it's, it's a different world. You can't imagine this way we're connected now. But back then, there was uh, three radio stations in the Netherlands. There was Avro Caro and Veronica. And Veronica was started as a pirate ship radio in the Zyder Z. Yeah. And the leading DJ for Veronica had a thing called Countdown Cafe. And it would be like somebody having a Casey Kasem show yeah. um, or a Wolfman Jack show. He played the hits. So he counted down the hits. And he happened to be a huge fan of Tower of Power. He loved those guys. We came along and we sounded you know, another band with horns. And he flipped out. So he started playing. He took our record to number one in, on the Countdown Cafe. Um, so we went over there. Everybody knew who we were. Um, you know, and then he, the other thing he started doing was he started um, having us come play live in the studio. Wow. And so we did probably four or five live Countdown Cafe uh, sessions. They wound up getting on a record called live wire um but he was great he called me grease for chris it was just like the same way you pronounce grease Grease, oh, wow. <laughs> hey grease how you doing man that's the way he talked <laughs> let's go back let's go back to colorado let's go way back way back <sighs> what was the when you were first coming up right. teenager early 20s yeah what was the scene like what was the scene like around Boulder? I mean, I know uh, oh my God. used to be there. I mean, what was what was happening? Take us back. Oh, Lord. Well, Boulder, Colorado, when I got there in 1970, um, was, you know, the biggest band was Firefall. Uh, not Firefall. Um, was uh, Candy uh, and uh, Zephyr. And... Zephyr was composed of Tommy Bolin on guitar and Candy Gibbons as lead vocals. And they sort of had a, um, a Janis Joplin, Big Brother and the Holding Company vibe 
except quite honestly, Candy was a better singer than Janice, much better harp player, and um, just a brilliant, brilliant uh, player. So Zephyr was just tearing it apart. Um, but there was a whole music scene that was built around what was going to become Caribou Ranch. Right. And Caribou Ranch brought in Stills, who lived down the road from us, Joe Walsh, who lived down the road from us, us being Magic Music, the band I was with. Yeah. But I first started out playing with a band called Rosewood Canyon. And Rosewood Canyon was very similar to Magic Music. They were really sister bands, uh, very similar sound. Rose was a little jazzier, but it was acoustic. Um, and I played with Rosewood for about three or four months, and then Magic Music had a big shakeup, and uh, they asked me to join them. And I'd, I'd known the guitar player, Will Lucky, in the band for years. Yeah. There was a music store there called Mick the Greeks, and everybody hung out there. I used to give Jock Bartley banjo lessons when he was uh, working behind the counter there. Um, Everybody went in there. There was another one called The Music Store, which was run by Werner Logan. And I remember going and sitting in there and playing rhythm guitar for Tommy Bolin. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was just, you know, it, Magic Music went over to Joe Walsh's house and recorded a track on his brand new 24-track Studer, I think. I think it was a Studer machine that later wound up as Caribou's first multi-track recording machine. Wow. And slightly after that, Tommy's daughter was killed. Oh, not Tommy, I mean, uh, Joe's. Joe's daughter was killed and, and that was put him through a whole thing. Fogelberg eventually comes into play and he's there. Um, it, it's, um, so it was just an interesting time and an interesting world to, uh, to be a part of music was everywhere if, if you were to to bump into joe walsh at the grocery store he um, wouldn't know take, me he wouldn't no he wouldn't know me now back then he knew about our band magic music yep. but joe was with a with i mean he created barnstorm right. with kenny passarelli and and joe lala and that was a probably the biggest national phenomena zephyr was trying to go national and hadn't really had that and walsh came in from ohio just like stills coming in from you know crosby Sills, and nash um and uh and gersio had been in chicago producing chicago um and made all those you know great chicago records and went up to the, you know, bought the Caribou Ranch. It was a combination of a local scene that was incredible and a series of transplants, Poco, um, the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. Yeah. Um, and then there were locals, Judy Collins, um, who had blown up and gone national. Yeah. Uh, it was an amazing scene at that time. So that was a place where, it, you know, that was a music hub. People were getting picked up out of Colorado at that time, correct? Yeah, and, and a little like what we're seeing now. Uh, jam band culture has made Boulder again a central place to be. 
um, you know, salmon, string cheese, um, you know, all those guys yeah. made Boulder again a place where there's a huge musical culture. So it, it keeps cycling through in Colorado. The one thing that's different is that Boulder used to have a series of clubs, and this was the magic of the place. You had the Walrus, you had J.J. McCabe's, you had Jose Maldudes and the Blue Note and the Boulder Theater. So they had five clubs that were all within, uh, in certain cases, walking distance. So Steve, Steve Kahn could be playing at Jose Maldoon's and uh, Woody of the Two High Band would be up at the Blue Note, you know, and uh, oh, there were Shannons and there were two. And, you know, Woody and Two High Band would probably be at Shannon's. Freddie Henshi would be at the Blue Note. And literally on the breaks, we would go and sit in with one another. <laughs> so I, it was one of those magical, magical things. So you, there was kind of this whole community that mm -hmm. around, you know, when you, when you were first getting to Boulder and playing, there was this whole community around, um, Caribou Ranch, right? I mean, that's, right. you guys were all running around in there and making records and stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. Bill Simzig up there producing stuff. There was this huge community around Caribou, but like I said, that was the national community. That was, like I said, Poco and... Fogelberg. And then there was a local community and the local community was uh, <clears throat> Michael Woody and the two high band and probably one of my absolute favorite, which was Dusty Drapes and the Dusters. Yeah. And they took a really cool idea, which is basically the same idea that Asleep at the Wheel had, which was to do old Bob Wills and the Texas Playboy counting stuff. Yeah. But they wrote all their own songs and they were hilariously funny and they used a horn section. And in fact, that's where Steve Kahn's horn section originally come from, is they were Dustin's horn section. Yeah. Wow. Wow. What a cool culture to to have been able. Yeah, to it was. It was a really cool of. time. I think it's a little like Denver was, especially up until COVID hit. But I look at your success, and a whole group of songwriters and musicians and performers who, you know, played at all the cool venues in Denver. And they've really made Denver kind of what Boulder was. Yeah. Years ago. So yeah. <clears throat> the way to think of Boulder now, or Boulder then, is kind of like Denver now. Wow. You know, you <laughs> got Nathaniel and the Fray. And, yep. um, you know, I, I just, there was a, a really... And, you know, Big Head Todd and the samples. It started really <clears throat> with Todd and the samples and the sub dudes being smart. Yeah. Especially Todd. Todd and those guys came along and there's a movie called Sweet Lunacy about some of the stupider days of Boulder. Yeah. But um, the, the real tragedy was there was some great music that drugs kind of got in the way. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think Todd was the first that I knew of that came along. I was clean, it's over, but they were, they came along and just said, you know, this is a business and we love making music. And that's what we're doing. We're, this is, we're not doing this to get girls and get high. We're doing this to, you know, to go somewhere, you know? Yeah. Elephant Revival is, is you know, any of those 
wonderful things, you know, Andy, <clears throat> you know, Guerrero yep. and the Flowbots. Yeah. Very smart business people. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that was a big difference from the Boulder of the 70s. Boulder of the 70s was, you know, I mean, Firefall is a brilliant example. And they have one of the best songwriters in the entire world with Rick Roberts. Um, and Ricky's, Ricky's always been, if I could be anybody other than who I am, I would have been Rick Roberts in the 1970s. Yeah. Who wrote just these incredible tunes, not just for Firefall, but for Flying Burrito Brothers. Yeah. Tell me why are you crying and what can I do? It's not so easy just watching you cry alone. Bernie Leadon playing banjo from the Eagles. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. I mean, and then that band just really fell victim to the drug era. Well, but you, you've always been a smart <clears throat> business person and you've been clean and sober for a long, long time. What, I think when, since Lincoln, Lincoln was president. Yeah. <laughs> when really? <laughs> um, yeah, I got clean in <clears throat> 1984. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I, I just, it was, I was either going to, there were two reasons. One was um, my son's mother died of cancer. So yeah. pretty much I was on base and there was, there was no relief pitcher. Yeah. <clears throat> so that was one reason. The other reason was I wanted a career. Right. And I really got it in my head that I, I, I watched other musicians around me in Boulder <clears throat> screwing up their careers. And I just yep. didn't want to do that. Well, so, and it, it also led to me teaching. Right. Because we were on the road in Europe and I went, hmm, doesn't seem to be a retirement plan here. And uh, so I thought, well, the guys are out partying after this gig and I'm kind of bored sitting in the hotel room. So maybe I'll start working on something else. So I, uh, I, um, I got in touch with the, um, the history department at CU, and I said, "So, what would it take for me to get in and get a master's degree?" And they told me. <clears throat> I said, "Well, could I do it while I'm on the road?" And they said, "Actually, yeah, we can make that work." Yeah. And so, I got my master's degree, and uh, <clears throat> then Swallow Hill came to me and said, "We'd love to have you uh, do this." Um, and be our executive director. I said, sure. Yeah. And did that for about five years and then <clears throat> took a year off because we'd gotten signed to KTEL Records. Nice. Um, didn't quite go the way we meant, wanted it to. <clears throat> we actually had a record in the top five on the middle of the road. <clears throat> they, I think they called it... Um, uh, AOR, something like that. I forget what it was called. It was middle of the road, rock. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, then they went bankrupt. Oh, well. Walmart was calling me saying, your name's on the album. We see your phone number. We can't get your record. What's happening with your record company? Yeah. You think That's I even happened. taught about that in class? 
Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> when and when you started teaching, or I guess you were at maybe Arapahoe community for a little bit, but when you started yeah. teaching at yeah. Denver, you took on music business. You know, in yeah. in if you were if you'd been a math professor, two plus two is always four. If you'd been a history right. professor, like perhaps planned, uh, Lincoln always gets shot in the head. You're doing music business. How tough was that to keep up? Well, I had an interest in it, and it goes back to that first band I was in, Magic Music. The guy named Lee Aronson did a movie about it called 40 Years in the Making, the Magic Music Movie. You can get it on Amazon Prime and iTunes and stuff. Yeah, It's a documentary about this band that refused to sell out with the typical what was called the Cretans Clearwater contract. Yes. It was a very typical contract where they offered you 5% royalty and they took your publishing. It was a brutal contract. That is brutal. Yeah. So that contract was offered to the band uh, by Asylum Records. Um, but it was that was a number of contracts. And I wasn't in charge. Yeah, they originally hired me because of a song that I wrote called Hey Gandy Dancer. So um, I when I first went to school, one of the classes I took from Gary Burden, the great vibraphonist, uh, was music business. Yeah. So it, and, and the Kings always ran as a business. It was always a business venture. Um, and. So. When Dr. Matt at Arapahoe Community College asked me, you know, to teach a music theory course, I said, I'll be glad to if I can teach a music business course. He let me do that. And then CU heard about what I was doing down at Arapahoe and they got in touch and said, well, would you be interested in teaching our music business course? And I said, sure. So the first year I was actually commuting, I would teach a 10 o'clock class at Arapahoe Community College and jump from my car and drive up Santa Fe Boulevard as fast as I could to get to downtown campus and wow. walk in and then teach a class there. <laughs> wow. And then they hired me full time. I did that for about 16 years and now I'm back doing it again, but yeah. not full time. That's great. Well, and, and I don't want to keep you all afternoon. So I'll, oh, I'll, no, this is fun. I'll go. I'll go to my last uh, my last topic. Um, <clears throat> one thing I wanted to touch on is when I was in your class in 2010. It was artist management, I believe. Right. And you came into class one day, very nonchalant. I, I hadn't even put my laptop away yet. I think I pulled it up to write an email or check my Facebook or something. And you came into class um, and you said, I have leukemia. I'm going to go get, I'm going to kick its ass. I'm going to go get this taken care of. You said it just like that, almost as if you just had a bad cold. It actually took me a second to look up and say, wait a minute. He just said leukemia. You were so, I don't know what you were inside, but you seemed so calm and cool and collected to the class. Um, you know, going through that and coming out where you're at now with a, you know, a 25% chance to live through 2015, how do you view life differently than the average person? I think two things happened. It's kind of weird, but I didn't realize how sick I was. And while I was teaching your class, um, there was one day that 40% of my blood was unusable to my body. 
there was one day that I walked in and I started teaching and it was as if I was on an acid trip. You all were at the end of a long tunnel. Wow. And I remember going, something is really bad here. And somehow I made it through the class. Yeah. And it was about a week after that, that um, I had my heart did all kinds of weird stuff and went in and, and Dr. Wang, actually his name, yeah, you know, Rodney Dangerfield, remember? Yeah. <laughs> Caddyshack. Right. Dr. Wang walked in and said, you've got leukemia and walked out of the room. Uh, <laughs> any more information here? Yeah, right. So I didn't know how sick I was. I was really sick. I had a thing called acute myeloid leukemia and I got a bone marrow transplant from my sister. Which means my bone marrow is all my sister's. It's fabulous. It's girl bone marrow. I just can't tell you how special it is. Shoe shopping. Yeah. Damn. Who knows? <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> but, uh, how it changed the way I look at things is... Um, for the first eight years, I wanted to recapture everything that I'd lost and even go farther. And I did, you know, I got inducted in the hall of fame and I <clears throat> got nominated for Grammy and I, you know, did two records with Freddie and I produced your record, which was one of the most fun experiences ever. That was a blast. Um, and I got, oh man, it's, you know, and especially because it was sort of a turning point in your career from where you were going with blues to finding your own voice. Yeah. And boy, did you find it. And what a great voice. Um, Thank you. What a great, you know, I mean, I love your pajama series that you've done. And <laughs> just all the creative energy you put into it. And, and so getting the chance to work with students and getting the chance to do my own thing. Um, and then about two three years ago, I got asked to do a nonprofit again. I got asked to come and head the Colorado Music Hall of Fame. And I don't have any regrets about it because they were in a bad way was able, I think, to stabilize them. But what I realized then was I don't want to be working this hard. Yeah. And I'm in a now in a stage of complete flux. Yeah. You know, this project with Hazel, I'm thrilled about. But I'm kind of redefining things musically. What am I going to do? And the pandemic has been phenomenal for my acoustic guitar playing. I'm playing every day and I'm you know, I've learned every James Taylor song there is. And, you know, I, it's, just, it's really been fun. And so how I come out of this, I don't know. You know, the Kings are definitely going to do more gigs. And we'll do stuff yeah. With them. yeah. But I'm in that kind of position where you were a number of years ago, where I'm, I'm learning and I'm going, well, okay, what is my voice? Right. You know, what is my, what do I want to say now? You know, yeah. I've said a lot. Got 15 albums out, two magic music albums out. What's my voice want to say now? Yeah. And who am I talking to? You know, am I talking to youth? Probably not. I'm not sure I have anything to say to youth if they don't have to go learn for themselves. Right. You know, do I want to be Bob Dylan esque and, and say, 
well, it sure was a great time and I'm getting ready to die. No, you know, yeah. I kind of believe in that, that, uh, that uh, Shawshank Redemption thing, you know, you yeah. get busy living or get busy dying. Absolutely. So now I'm getting busy living. Um, and I'm fascinated by the, the, the stuff I've been collecting, the snippets of songs. Yeah. Um, so I got a notebook full of stuff that I'm not sure what I'm going to do with yet. I'm going to finish the Hazel album. <clears throat> but I, whereas I used to approach this stuff as I've got to get it done. And then when it was taken away, I got to get back to it. And yeah. now I'm turning a whole new chapter of going, well, what do you want to do? You know, yeah. let's, let's make this interesting. Let's mix this up. And wow. uh, so that's where I am now. It's really a fun time. And, I, and teaching grounds me. Um, yeah. the, the thing that I love about teaching is I'm learning every day from my students. Yeah. It's just like, wow, you're listening to that? I didn't know that existed. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, that's th thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and, and all the stories. And, and we sure. could talk all afternoon. I know. Uh, and uh, if you don't mind, stay on the line with me for just a second. But I'll, uh, sure. I'll unplug from the audience. So thanks again for coming on. I sure appreciate oh, it. Oh, man. Thank you, Andy. Um, if your audience doesn't know what an incredible soul you are and incredible music talent, they need to go listen to your music. Because, dude, you rock. Thank you. Thank you. And that's, and that's my plug, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> there you have it, folks, my conversation with Chris Daniels. It was so great to get to catch up with him and chat for a while. Um, he's just an incredible soul himself. And, uh, you know, through being a, a teacher and a mentor and a friend, I appreciate, I appreciate him a whole lot. So thanks so much, Chris, for coming on. And in lieu of not having a song at the end, you can follow the Middle Class Rockstar playlist on Spotify where I have music from all the guests. Um, it's just a playlist I made, and, and you can listen to music from all the guests there for the time being. But also make sure to check out Chris Daniels and the Kings wherever you listen um, to music, whether it be CD or vinyl or streaming, whatever it is. Go check them out. Um, incredible, incredible music. One of my favorite records uh, came out a few years ago is called Better Days. Um, it's, it's got a, a live set and also, you know, an album set, or I should say an album disc. Um, and it's great. It's one of my favorites. So that, that's one I recommend to check out, but he has all kinds of, um, all kinds of great records out. He's been doing it for, you know, 40 years. So Check it out. Um, questions, comments, concerns, hate mail, or death threats, you can bring those up with me, middleclassrockstar at gmail.com. And once again, I am up on Patreon at patreon.com slash Andy Sido, S-Y-D-O-W. Um, and if not in a monetary way, please consider uh, that five-star rating and review. It sure helps out a lot. Okay, that does it. Thanks for listening, and uh, can't wait to chat with you next week. Thank mm -hmm. you.